Welcome to the Management Insights Podcast Series hosted by McGraw-Hill. My name is Debbie Clare, Executive Marketing Manager for our management portfolio. Today's topic, it's time to revamp our teaching for Gen Zs. Our guest, Angelo Kanicki. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Deb. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a Cleveland kid. I went to school at Kent State University. Got all three degrees there. Met my wife there. From there, I moved on to Arizona State University and actually spent my entire career there, 33 years, teaching in the W.P. Carey School of Business. Uh, While I was there, a couple things happened that changed me. One was I became a friend with a guy who was a textbook author, and he brought me into the business, and I started in the textbook side of things in 1984, and now have two products with McGraw-Hill that I've been working on ever since. The other thing is my wife and I decided, and actually she pushed me to do this because she said, Angelo, you have all this knowledge about organizational behavior and management, and you're writing these research articles, but you have a responsibility to tell businesses about it. So we started a consulting firm, and we've been working with managers around the world to try and improve their leadership skills so that they would treat employees better and in that way impact uh, society at large. So uh, that's a background about who I am. And one last thing, in the process of doing all of this, this is something that comes from my dad. He was a blue-collar worker, worked for Ford Motor Company for 40 years in the factory. What he taught me was um, you got to do a good job in whatever it is you're doing. So although I was trained as a researcher, I really cared about teaching. And so I put a lot of effort into that and very happy to say that uh, one of my greatest achievements is getting six teaching awards, student nominated. So I care a lot about teaching, which is why I'm doing this podcast, because I've come across some information, Deb, that I think is really important to all professors. Well, we're really happy to have you on today to share some of the new research you found, and uh, let's dig in. So, Angelo, why do you think professors need to reconsider how they're teaching today's students? Well, I'm going to talk about there's three forces for change that I think are, are happening today. But before I do that, one of the reasons, Deb, I think that I believe a change is needed is my own experience in the classroom. Because I've been doing it so long, I noticed in my own career where I changed my style. Why did I change my style? To fit the people who were in front of me. Well, this is the key. So today, the dominant group, here's one of the forces for change, students and the characteristics of students. The dominant group in the classroom today is Gen Z. And Gen Z are people who were born between 1995 and 2012. It's the first truly digital generation. They're in the room. If if we don't teach, bring our teaching to them, we're going to miss them. So let me talk a little bit, Deb, about the characteristics of Gen Zs, because this is very, very important. So one of the things we know about them is they desire immediacy. They want feedback right away. They don't want to wait to know their grade. They want to know how they're doing right now. Well, why is that important? Because it means we should use resources that have the ability to provide feedback about how they're doing real time. They like that. Another thing about Gen Zs, they embrace diversity and inclusion. You know, it's like those students who were protesting in Florida over the gun shooting. They're they're active. They, They want inclusion. They embrace diversity. 
So we got to keep that in mind as we're teaching them. They're very pragmatic and career-oriented. Why are they pragmatic and career-oriented? Because their parents went through the Great Recession that we had in the 90s, and they saw it, and they saw their parents get laid off. Therefore, they want material in the classroom that's going to help them achieve their career goals. We must be, Deb, more practical. And if we're not going to be more practical, those young people are going to find it somewhere else. So they're very pragmatic. They also, all of us teaching know this, short attention span, and they like to multitask. So that means they don't want to be hearing long lectures. They're not into that. They're going to be on their digital devices. Very independent. That's important. Why? Because when we teach, we have to think about, well, how can I capitalize on the fact that they like to multitask and they're independent? So for example, give them a task where you might say something like, well, today we're studying culture. Deb, why don't you get online and go look up Google's culture? Patrick, why don't you get online and look up Apple's? They would love that kind of thing. They go online, they do their little thing, they report back. That satisfies what those Gen Zs want. Um, they also, this is really important that we'll get to, they prefer hands-on learning. They like experience-based learning. They want to see the practical side of it. If it isn't practical, they are going, who cares? Why do I need to know this? And they prefer interactivity. So, Deb, one of the first pressures is the people in front of us. And here's kind of how I'm looking at this. I think as professors, we should be marketeers. And if I'm marketing a product, what do I do? Well, I got to provide something that they want. Well, I just told you the characteristics of Gen Zs. So it means that the force for change is if I'm going to bring my teaching to them, come to them, I have to do it by using techniques that fit what they want. And we will get to that in a little bit in this podcast. So the first force is students. The second force really comes from society. And we hear this on the news. Deb, you probably don't know this. This is actually sad. The graduation rate, the four-year graduation rate at public colleges and universities in the United States is 33%. 33%. The six-year graduation rates, I don't know about you, Deb. I got done in four and a half years. Six years is 576 Six years. So when parents complain about the cost of education and all the debt, well, sure, six years to get through, 57.6, 57.6. Folks, that just is not good enough. We're the instructors. Now, I know it's not all on us, but it's there. So maybe you're teaching in a private school and you go, well, my school's better. Hey, well, the average rate, this is good, for private colleges and universities, four years, 52.8 and 65.4 for six years. So yes, private schools are better. I'm not surprised. They have more money, more resources, and maybe what's going on there is different. But that is a force for change. How long will society continue to go? We can have all these kids rack up all this debt, and only 57.6 are graduating six years. It's going to put a force on universities to do a better job. So I think that that's coming. We can ignore that, or we can say, hmm, this is going to hit me. What's my role in this? Well, I think our role is, again, I'm not laying this all on me and you, but I'm saying what we do in the classroom can affect that. Okay, so that's the second force for change. So we have the student characteristics, we have the graduation rates, and here's the third force for change. This is a big one. Been doing a lot of reading on what's called career readiness, and I got to it because of work I'm doing on one of my products. And what the research shows is employers have been saying now for a number of years, they're saying we are not 
getting the skills that we want from college graduates. They're not career ready. So what the term career ready means is that students graduate with the skills that employers want and they can execute them. So it's one thing to say, I have a skill. It's a whole nother thing to say, I can use the skill. Employers are saying, you don't have it and you can't do it. And they're getting frustrated. They're blaming us, those of us listening to this podcast. Wow. So the force for change is employers. What do employers want? There's been a bunch of research on this global, and I studied it to infuse into my principles of management uh, product because I wanted in that product to focus on getting students career ready. So there's a lot of different competencies, and we classify them into core and into what's called other knowledge, skills, abilities, and other characteristics. But Deb, I want to just hit the core competencies because when you, for those of you listening, listen to these competencies and think about whether or not your teaching promotes them. The number one that they want is critical thinking, problem solving. You cannot get critical thinking and problem solving by lecturing. It's a skill that must be developed through practice. Now watch this. Gen Zs love active learning. If you want to give the employers what they want, we need active learning and the students will like it. Second core skill, oral written communication. Well, how do I do that? <clears throat> I'm teaching management, not communication. Well, you do it by having assignments that force the students to communicate. For example, for me, I love cases. And for those of you who use cases, it is a communication process. You get where I'm going here? Where I'm going is we got to bring the teaching to the student. The student is Gen Z. And we want the Gen Zs to have the skills that employers want. It's an intertwined system. And we're at the core in terms of what we do in the room. Next core competency, teamwork collaboration. Gen Zs like co to collaborate. Information technology application. Zazing, Gen Zs are digital. They want information technology. They want us as profs to use it. Next core skill, leadership. A uh, very important skill, which is all about influence. Professionalism and work ethic is another is another core competency. Now you may go, well, how do I teach professionalism work ethic? Well, let me tell you one way. Not by dumbing down our standards. Not by giving away grades. Because the employers don't have curves. The curves don't exist. Deliver. So I know I'm sounding like a maybe a jerk here, but I think you don't get what the employers want by lowering our standards. Let's push them. My experience in 33 years, the more I pushed, as long as I was fair, it garnered me more respect. I actually had one of the lowest grade distributions in my department in Arizona State, but I got six teaching awards. You can be firm, tough, but fair. Key word is fair. So work ethic. And the last uh, competency that, that employers want is cross-cultural. They want our students to be able to work with people from diverse countries, races, uh, sexual orientations. They, they want that. And by the way, Gen Zs are, are key for that. So Deb, in summary, three forces. The one is the students. They're Gen Zs. Two, the graduation rates are not up to what I think society expects from us as educators. And third is career readiness. So when you put those three things together, uh, where it leads me, I'm kind of like a funnel, you know? So the, all that information is funneling out and what's coming out at the bottom. What's coming out at the bottom is, well, how do I teach? If, Angelo, you're saying I have these forces, what might I do differently? So those are the forces that are causing the need for, for change.
Angelo, based on those critical forces, what suggestions or recommendations do you have for your peers? So I have five. I really have been thinking about this. Five. Here's the first one. I don't know how all you are teaching, but I know how I was trained, and that was to lecture. What I would call a content-based approach. In other words, I'm the sage on the stage. The student is a receptacle, and I just pour the information into them, content-based, lecturing. I like to lecture. It's good at it. We got to replace that with a learner-centered approach, and I've already mentioned this. What do I mean by that? We need to bring the teaching like a marketer to them like a product, present it in a way that they want it. And what I'm going to tell you about Gen Zs, I know it's repeat, they don't want lecture. Yes, you can lecture. My advice would be no more than 25% of, of the time. But don't do it all in one block because they like to multitask. They're not going to pay attention. So if I have, you know, an hour class, 25% to lecturing, spread it out. So the first recommendation is let's take a learner-centered approach. Let's teach with methods and techniques that fit the audience. We're marketeers. We're selling knowledge. That's the first recommendation. Second recommendation, focus on active learning. Active learning. Now, this is an interesting one because active learning, so the basic of of active learning is simply that we have students learn by doing, by thinking, by analyzing. By discussing. Notice I said students are thinking, analyzing, and discussing. I'm not doing it for them, but I have to set the environment and the techniques to get them to do that. Now, here is one critical thing, Deb, and the more I think about active learning and I believe in it and I've been doing it for a long time in my own classes, you cannot get to higher levels of learning like analysis and create and apply unless you know the basics. So if I'm teaching motivation, for example, I can't get them to apply it if they don't know expectancy theory and equity theory, and you can't. So here's the conundrum. How do I get them to know the basics? I see two choices. One, lecture. Eh, I already told you they don't want that. So, but Angelo, how do I get them? I'm telling you, you need something from the publisher. And I, I know what McGraw-Hill has. It's called SmartBook. You need a mechanism that you can use that will tell you what they're learning and you make the assignment before class. So if I'm going to talk about motivation and I want to use active learning and I have an hour class, I'm telling you, no more than 20 minutes, no, excuse me, 20% of the, of the hour can be on lecturing. Well, then where does it come from? It comes from SmartBook. So SmartBook is an adaptive learning technique. It tells you what they're learning. You assign it before class. You come in, you, you know what they've learned, and then you do baby bits of lecturing and you get into the active learning techniques. So Deb, one of the things, and I'm not doing this podcast just to sell SmartBook, but I don't know how else you get the basic levels of knowledge without either lecturing or, or a tool like SmartBook. And if you believe that we got to stop lecturing, then you need a tool like SmartBook. You need something. 
If you think, I was just talking to a professor yesterday. He goes, oh, we're into critical thinking and uh, we're going to go, we're not going to have a textbook. We're just going to do critical thinking. I went, wow. So where do the students get the basic content? Well, you know, um, uh, I'm going to have some readings. Oh, that's great. So you're just going to have some readings. And folks, if you want to get to higher levels of learning, which is what the employers want, and it's what Gen Zs want, then I think it's an active learning approach. So the second recommendation is let's focus on active learning. Third, this one's a little more tricky, and that is new forms of assessment. So if I'm really going for higher levels of learning, oh, how do I assess that? It isn't multiple choice questions. Multiple choice questions are great for the basic levels of understanding and remembering information. You need to have that. So multiple choice is fine, Deb. But if I want to get into can you critically think, can you use leadership, well, I need something that's either observational or some other mechanism to rate it. So I think we need to think about other forms of assessment. So if you're wondering, well, Angelo, great. Well, how in the world would I do that? So here's an example of me. So I use cases every class. And what I do is I grade their contribution, not participation, contribution, which means what is the value of what comes out of your mouth? Well, you might go, wow, how do you grade that? The way I do it is, I have two student graders randomly picked out. I have a process. I won't go into all that. You can email me if you want to know it. And they come up front with a, a seating chart, and they grade every comment that a student makes. So if you raise your hand and you're called on, you get scored 0 to 20. And that's how I grade their contribution. Creative, but that's what I mean. We need new forms of assessment to get at some of these uh, more complicated competencies. Fourth. Gen Zs love technology. They love their devices. Well, bring them into the classroom. You know, years ago, I remember having in my syllabus, no laptop, no phone, no this. And finally, one day I went, Angelo, they're on it anyway. Why don't you just make it part of what you're doing? So what I do is every class, I do something where I say, okay, get online and go. And they do it and they love it. So don't be afraid of it. And oh, by the way, McGraw-Hill has wonderful assets that require students to do things like that. One of them is called an application-based activity. It's a simulation. The students will love it. They get online. They do a simulation. They get a score. Remember, they like immediacy, fit for Gen Zs. I also like to use something called a hot seat video. It's a video where a manager is interacting with people and there's a problem. And this is a great way to get at students' Uh, critical thinking and problem solving and communication skills. Gen Zs would love it. Why? Because they like multi-video, different techniques. So use technology. Study the technology that your publishers have and then figure out how to bring it into the classroom. And finally, the last recommendation, although, and this one's kind of interesting to me, because I know Gen Zs love their devices, right? So when you're on a device, it's kind of an independent personal thing. So while Gen Zs are, in fact, independent, they also like group-based collaboration. They like to work with other people, but they would prefer it be something that involves technology. Here again, this asset that McGraw-Hill has called an application-based activity it's a simulation. And when McGraw-Hill designed it, they actually designed it for an individual activity 
when you learn about it, I could see where you could use it in a classroom and create teams and have these students play. It's like gamification. Have them do the ABA and they're playing a game and you actually get a score, an objective score. And you could have a little contest. Oh, whoever gets the highest score in the team, I'll give you two points or I'll buy you a Starbucks, whatever it is. Gen Zs love that stuff. So let me summarize. The five recommendations is let's bring the learning to them, a learner-centered approach. we got to get away from uh, sage on the stage. Two, focus on active learning. Three, new forms of assessment. Four, build technology into it. And five, find a way to combine independent work with group-based collaboration. So, Deb, what I think is, you know, I've covered a lot, and it might sound like I'm thinking you got to change everything you do. And, and sure, if you're up for it, go for it. But here's what I would really say. If you buy into the notion that we have these forces, and if I don't do something about it, somebody's going to do it to me, I would rather us take control of our classroom. We decide what happens. So just pick. Here's like one thing I would ask of you. Can you say to myself, I'm going to try some active learning for 20 minutes every class. Do it for a month. Watch their faces. See what happens. I promise you what you're going to see is fun stuff and you're going to feel good. Then you maybe go from 20 to 30. So let's take baby steps, but let's bring the, the learning to the students because I think what will happen is we're going to satisfy employers. We're going to satisfy our bosses. You're going to feel better about yourself. And that's why I'm interested in this topic, Deb. I think, I think for higher ed to meet the demands that society has, uh, all of us professors have to up our game. Angela, I think this has been remarkable. Um, any last closing comments to your peers? No, thank you for those of you who've stayed with me. And, and yeah, I do have one. Um, a quick little story. The way I got into academia, I never intended to. I was taking a course in organizational behavior my last semester as a senior. And I took the course, loved the topic, and the professor took an interest in me and said, hey, Angela, what are you doing with your life? Oh, I'm going to go work for this company. Well, why don't you think about a grad degree? No, you know, you don't have what I want. Well, what do you want? I go, well, I love this topic, org behavior. He goes, we have a degree in that. I didn't know that. Here's how I want to close, Deb. We touch lives. I had one guy who took the time. He took the time to come uh, invite me to his office to talk to me and to show some interest. It changed my life. That's why I'm talking to you today. I never dreamed I would write textbook. I never dreamed I'd be a teacher. Folks, we can touch lives, but what's at the core of touching those lives? It's us taking the time to care about those kids. Thank you, Angelo. And thank you for sharing your perspective, your experience, and most definitely your advice. To our listeners, check back for future topics and spread the word to your colleagues about our podcast series. Why? Because learning changes everything. <laughs>